Good evening and welcome to our service here. I hope that that song, the message of that song is the desire of all of us this evening. Draw me nearer to the cross where thou hast died. I hope that is the result of our meeting here this evening for this special service. So, I don't know if y'all who are not ministers have ever considered the dilemma that ministers face when they stand up to preach at a communion service, especially, or give the feet washing meditation. You know, we, we like to talk about that old, old story. And sometimes I struggle with that term because it's much more than a story. It's an account. It's actual. It's true. But it is the old, old story. We're so familiar with it. And so often, at least I can struggle with what do I share? What do I share that is fresh and new? What can I share that we need to hear? And so this evening... Our message might be slightly different than what I've normally preached for communion messages. And I'll apologize up front. Uh, we're going to turn to a lot of scripture passages. So I hope that you can tolerate that. I'm going to start. Kevin already did this. But I want a little bit of a little bit of feedback from the congregation here at the beginning. Why are we gathered here this evening? This, these are not trick questions. Why are we gathered here this evening? Okay. Commemorate the death and suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ through observing the communion service. Kevin talked about this a little bit. So what's the purpose? Okay. To remember. Okay? It's, it's, we're looking back, but you're also saying we're looking forward. Okay? So, in, in doing all of this, what are we commemorating? This was already touched on, I guess, but what are we commemorating in, in looking at Christ's suffering and death. Okay? Who said that? Good answer. You're, you must have been reading my notes. You're jumping ahead about one question. So we're commemorating His suffering and death. But why did He suffer and die? And that was going to be my next question, but Rachel beat me to the punch. So often, when we talk about what Christ has done for us, what do we do? We talk about that He died so that we can have forgiveness of sins. And that is true. But there's another reason that I want to consider this evening. And I also want to say that there's so many things intertwined with Christ's suffering and death. His work on the cross 
on our behalf that we can't necessarily separate them out. But I'm going to try and a way to do that this evening. So not only did he suffer and die for our for forgiveness of our sins, but there's what I feel like is an overlooked aspect of Christ's work on our behalf, and that is the work of redemption. And I'm not trying to hold up one aspect of the work of Christ on the cross as higher than any other aspect, so don't get me wrong. But I've been pondering this for a while and felt led, actually, I guess I felt led to bring a message on redemption somewhere along the line within the last two weeks or so. And I thought, well, that's a perfect communion message. So I want us to think about redemption. Well, let me back up. Some other aspects of his death and his suffering are forgiveness of sin, atonement, sanctification, and I'm sure if you all apply your minds to it, you can probably add a few more to that 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 are part of the work of Christ on our behalf. But I want to think about His suffering and death as a work of redemption. And I'm not planning to talk much about the account of Christ's suffering and death on the cross. We know that account well. We've heard it from little up. It's not new to us. We know how he was mistreated, how he was rejected, how he was betrayed, and the intense, cruel suffering that he endured, and the horrific death on the cross. And so, we know that, but do we consider why? What was the purpose? What drove Christ to the point that He was willing to surrender Himself to that? And yes, it was because of His love for mankind, His desire for us to be forgiven, but I believe that it, even greater than forgiveness is this concept of redemption. So what is redemption? A dictionary definition is to buy back, to repurchase. So the idea there is, is maybe you have sold something and you decide you want it back. And you go and you buy it back. You have redeemed it back to your ownership. To, to go on in this definition, to get or win back or to free from what distresses or harms. Think about that definition a little in relation to what Christ has done for us. To free us from what distresses or harms. Also, to free from captivity by paying a ransom. To extricate from or help to overcome something detrimental. So we have here the concept of redemption of being to buy back or to 
ransom from captivity. And we also probably are familiar, all of us, with the Old, Old Testament example of redemption of land. So the Israelites were allotted land. Their family groups were allotted specific land parcels. And they were to pass down from generation to generation. But you know, everything doesn't always go well in everyone's life. And sometimes someone might find themselves in a position where life had taken some bad turns. And they had to sell that family land because they were in debt. But God provided an avenue that if they could save up the money, they could go back a number of years later and redeem that land back into the family inheritance. In the book of Ruth, we have that example as Boaz redeemed the land of Elimelech and Malan and Kilion and took Malan's widow Ruth as his wife. So there's a little bit of the idea of buying back. You can also read in the book of Hosea where his wife left him and was involved in an adulterous relationship. And through the instruction of the Lord, Hosea went and he bought her as he purchased her back to his rightful ownership. Redemption. He he took her out of that terrible situation she was in. Another uh, example that we're all familiar with, thinking of ransoming someone that's a captive. I thought about the hostage situation there in Haiti the other year. Situation where People were taken hostage and held for a ransom. Money was demanded for their release. The idea was that if enough money was paid to the captors, then you know the, someone or some corporation or somebody, some organization with a lot of money had the opportunity to ransom or to redeem these people back out of the bondage that they were in under that gang. So in a spiritual sense, what is redemption? Spiritual redemption is the act of Christ paying the ransom and buying us back from the captivity of sin and Satan. Since the fall, Satan has held all of mankind bondage and captive to sin. We all find ourselves, maybe against our wishes, we find ourselves in bondage to sin. And I think that we've probably all been at the place where we tried on our own to overcome And we found out that it was futile. But Christ, through His work on the cross, provided a way of redemption 
or we can be translated out of that, out of that bondage that we were we found ourselves in through our, through our human nature into God's kingdom. So I want to look this evening at a number good number of scriptures that speak of redemption. What redemption means to us. This does not cover all of the aspects of redemption or all the verses dealing with redemption. But first of all, Romans 7, verse 14. Here we see answered the question, why do we need redemption? This is Paul speaking And I believe that he is speaking of his experience before Christ. Romans 7, 14, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. See, he's speaking of that unregenerate, unredeemed state of mankind. Without redemption, we have been sold into the bondage of sin. It's as if we're a slave. What does a slave own? A slave owns nothing. They are owned by someone else. A slave is not earning wages whereby they can then pay for their freedom. And that's where we find ourselves in serving Satan. We're slaves. We have nothing by which we can redeem ourselves. Without Christ, we're hopeless to overcome. Unable to free ourselves. And you know, sometimes I think that we try to fool ourselves into thinking that we can redeem ourselves or that we can be redeemed on our own terms. In other words, we can come to Christ for redemption without making a full surrender. And you know it doesn't work that way. There's only one way to full surrender. If one of us was taken captive tonight and held hostage, and they said, $100,000 and we'll let this person go free. And we took up a collection. We said, well, we got $1,000. The captor is not going to say, oh, that's fine. We'll take the $1,000. We'll let them go. No, you have to pay all. And our part is to surrender all. It's only through that full surrender that we're freed from that bondage of, to self. Next, I'd like to look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. And this is breaking in a little bit. But verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
not redeemed by corruptible things, not redeemed with things of this earth, not redeemed with with silver and gold, with money. Also, Titus 3, first part of verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. So it's not through righteous things we've done. It's not through doing good that we earn redemption, but it's a gift. Only attained through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that perfect sacrifice. Looking up then in Titus 2, verse 14, he says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Christ's purpose was to redeem us out of, from all iniquity, and, and to purify unto us, unto him, a peculiar people. So that was Christ's desire, was to redeem us out of those things. So we could say that, well, let me back up. So what are we redeemed from? And we see here in Titus 2.14 that we're redeemed from iniquity and impurity. So we could say we're redeemed from sin. We're redeemed from things that we do that are against the will of God. Romans 8 verse 1. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We're redeemed from our own flesh. Galatians 5.16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, a reference pointing out that Christ redeems from the bondage to the desires of the flesh. Back to Galatians, Galatians 4, 5. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons were redeemed from under the law. The law was given for a purpose. It was given to, as our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. But the law was powerless to bring about the inner change to give redemption. The law could provide a way that sin could be covered, could be taken care of, but it was powerless to change the heart. But through Christ, through His sacrifice, we're redeemed to a new life in Him. Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world 
according to the will of God and our Father. We flip back to Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I to the world. So we're redeemed, or we're delivered, from the world, from this present evil age. How many of us haven't, in recent time, looked around at the world, local things going on, more distant things, things clear around the globe, and thought about how different things and how deplorable and how awful people live. It's easy to do that and to look on with pity, but without the redemption, the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, you and I, would be living in those exact same deplorable conditions today. We've been redeemed. Freed from that bondage. Freed from that emptiness. But here in Galatians 6.14, we have a key that we must not forget. By whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. We sang that song, draw me nearer to the cross where thou hast died. We need to draw nearer to that cross because we need to be on it with Christ. The world needs to be crucified to us and us to the world if we're going to experience the redemption that Jesus Christ has to offer us today. Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. We're redeemed from the power of the devil. The devil is still active today. We still experience his onslaughts in our life, his temptations. But as we fully surrender and submit to Christ, the power of the devil is broken because of Christ's redemptive work. Moving on there to Hebrews 2.15, And delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And then I'll go back to Romans 8 verse 2. For the law of the spirit of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So we're redeemed from death and the fear of death. No, we aren't redeemed out of actual physical death, but he speaks here of the fear of death, the fear of the finality of a coming judgment without having a way of redemption without being right with God we're redeemed out of eternal death and we're redeemed into eternal life so next I want us to consider what then are the results 
of this redemption? What change does it bring in our lives? Colossians 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So first of all, the result is forgiveness. The guilt for our sins is gone. And then Colossians 1, 20-22. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Reconciliation with a holy God is a result of the redemption that Christ offers. Since we have forgiveness, we're no longer separated from God. That relationship is restored. Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ's redemption brings justification. Being declared righteous in God's eyes. A clean slate. Ephesians 5. Twenty five through twenty seven. Husbands, love your wives, even even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I also want to look at Hebrews. 13, verse 12. Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Christ's redeeming work brings sanctification to the life of the believer. To sanctify is to set apart as holy. See, if we're redeemed out of a sinful world, we should automatically be set apart as holy, separate before God. We should be crucifying that sinful nature that makes us unholy. And sanctification, I recognize, is an ongoing work. It's not a once and done. It's a growing experience as we live for the Lord and as we allow Him to work in our lives. In Galatians 4, verses 5 through 7, is a should be a very precious promise to us all. Galatians 4, 
5 through 7, speaking of what Christ did to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has set forth sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Through Christ's redemptive work, we receive the adoption of sons. We are God's children. And if we're adopted as sons, we are His heirs along with Christ. It's amazing that we today can be children of a holy, righteous, omnipotent God. We've already read Titus 2.4, but I want to read that again to bring something else out. So, excuse me, I said Titus 2.4. Titus 2.14 who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Another familiar passage, similar passage, 1 Peter 2.9. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And see, see the imagery in that verse being called out of darkness into His marvelous light? That's the work of redemption. But what I want us to see in these verses is that through redemption, we become God's peculiar people. Are His chosen, His set-apart people. That word peculiar is uh, interesting. King James, I think, is one of the only versions that uses that exact word. But these two references both use the word peculiar, but the root Greek Greek word is different. In Titus, the idea is that of being beyond usual. So to put it in my words... I would say maybe extraordinary. Through Christ's redemptive work, we become people who are beyond